Hey, y'all, this is Ashley, also known as Bored Becky, and you're listening to Fired Up on the Blockchain with Travi. I'm like, Travi, come on now. Like, you, you got this under control. Hey, Travi, let's effing go. I love your energy. It's so hyped. It's so warm. It's so friendly. This is Danielle Petty, co-founder of The 90s Babes, and you're listening to Fired Up on the Blockchain with Travi. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends and DGENs, for the thousands in attendance and the millions listening in podcast land, my name is Travi, and we are Fired Up on the Blockchain Let's go. Yes, 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 yes. We are fired up on the blockchain with Travi. How are you? My name is Travi. Travi.eth at Mr. Travis, though. I've actually seen other people coming up with Travi.eth. I am T R A V I E. Dot ETH. I don't know uh, if people thought they were being creative or they came up with it on their own, but there are certain other variations of that floating around. But you'll know because I am uh, at Mr. Travis Though on Twitter. There are no underscores or dots or any floating symbols or anything like that that you'll sometimes see for some of the imposter accounts. Starting this podcast was uh, something that I did to kind of bridge some of the relationships that I had and give a platform for really good people the same way that uh, my buddy Brian Fanzo does for his NFT 365 podcast as he did for me and uh, go back and check out episode four of this podcast if you didn't hear our conversation back from NFT NYC. And one thing that I specifically love about being able to do that is that because the market now is quite a different market than it was when myself and many others of us got into the space, we have a pretty decent outlook and understanding of some of the people who are still here and some of the people who are actually building, you know, because sometimes it feels like the space for, you know, one reason or another is a little bit more dried up in terms of builders and talent and stuff. So the people who are really here as riddles mentioned on our previous episode are the ones that you really want to kind of get to know and network with and build with. So that's a big reason why I think that the riddles episode specifically uh, had so much love and feedback. That was episode six. That's our previous episode. And big shout out to to Nadim. Uh, He was our guest on episode five. Nadim uh, just keeps on delivering with his Crypto Legends, he did another exclusive drop for his holders. Uh, He, as promised, um, has more in his ecosystem at um, lower entry points for people who want to enter. So a lot of really great things. I would definitely recommend going back and checking those um, episodes out for sure. But today's episode, I get to talk with somebody that I respect very much. It's somebody who I know was building during the bull market. Um, so, you know, if you're kind of thinking back to the winter time when Ethereum, you know, was was pretty high. Um, I know it got to around forty five thousand uh, for four. I wish forty five hundred or so. Bitcoin was around sixty five thousand. Uh, and, you know, they were both on pace. I, I know a lot of analysts that I follow, um, uh, not just YouTubers, uh, 
sorry to all the YouTubers out there, but there are a few YouTubers I still really very much respect and uh, will religiously watch their episodes. But, they, you know, Bitcoin was on pace for 100K and uh, ETH was on pace for 10K and then a couple things happened and here we are. So our guest is Danielle Petty. Danielle Petty is the co-founder of the 90s Babes NFT. I have to tell you this, guys, um, and just getting to know her, um, I already had a lot of respect for her and what she was doing and what she's building and a lot of the fun things that the 90s Babes NFT community uh, did leading up to their mint and kind of continuing since then. But a lot of people would have packed it up. Uh, you're going to hear some of the adversity that the team uh, faced, um, not just sort of leading up to the mint date, but obviously uh, some of the things that happened sort of like within like a 24 hour to 48 hour period uh, before and after the actual mint date. Um, and here we are. Here we are. She's Danielle and, and her team. Um, you know, Steve and Lara, everybody who's kind of really had their, their pedal to the metal for the 90s babes. Um, I am actually really, really impressed with not only Danielle and her composure and what she wants to do uh, for the brand, uh, but some of the things that I know that are coming. Uh, so 90s babes right now are a very affordable price. They are almost uh, completely minted out. I think... This is a, a rare opportunity, as many of us know, who are uh, asset buyers, whether it's property or you know crypto or other kinds of assets that we want to accumulate uh, during a down market. Um, I personally have um, a, a pocket full of 90s babes. Um, so I really believe a lot in Danielle and her team. And uh, during our conversation today, I think you're going to see why. So stick around for that uh, right after our community spotlight. Let's go down the rabbit hole. Today's community shout out, I need to recognize one community that has really been following through and, and delivering, I feel like, time after time. They have a brand new comic book claim. They have uh, toys. <laughs> uh, they have plush dolls. I mean, it's one thing after another, and it just continues to make their holders incredibly happy, which is especially like I talk about during a market like this, incredibly important. Um, and something that was been really cool, I actually got to meet uh, some of you know the members of the their their council, Maddie Z for one, um, and that of course is the Bubblegum Kids. And I think one thing that you sometimes don't really know, kind of going in uh, when a founder you know is not doxed, uh, was that you know you're not quite sure what you're going to get. But the founder doxed, and um, I think we're all very excited about um, who the not only who the founder was, but what the founder had to say. So I'm actually going to play a little bit um, from the founder's un <laughs> undoxing. This came at the beginning of July. It was uh, right after sort of the um, NFT NYC kind of uh, week was had ended. Everybody had kind of gotten home. Uh, and I think that this was it was really cool. Um, I think it excited uh, the internet. So if you missed it, here's the official undoxing back from the beginning of July. I'm Zach Hyman, and I'm Bubblegum. I'm the co-founder of Bubblegum Kids, alongside my brother Oliver Hyman, or as you all know him, King O Dog. 
Today's the day we dox, and we're super excited to finally share who we are with the community. But before I do, I just want to say a big thank you to all of you for supporting the brand, for going on Twitter, for sharing your kids, and just for falling in love with the project that we have. A little bit about myself, I'm a professional hockey player, I'm an award-winning children's author, and I'm the CEO of Soar Gaming, so I have an extensive background in the Web2 world. I'm super excited about this project because I fell in love with the space, I fell in love with the NFT community, and Oliver and myself, we want to grow something special and we want to build a global brand alongside you guys. We have one of the only kid-friendly brands in the space, and we're super excited about the potential and where we can go. Uh, on July 6th, I'm going to be doing a full spaces. Uh, for all of you who are part of the project, you know a lot of the things that we do. And for all of you who don't, come join the spaces on July 6th and we can talk about the bubblegum kids, chew some bubblegum, and have some fun. I just wanted to say thank you again for everybody who's watching and thank you for our community for being so supportive. We're super excited to docs and we can't wait for the future. You know, we had known about who the founders were for quite some time, but we didn't leading up to that for a while. Um, and what makes it interesting, too, is that they wanted I was actually in that space, that Twitter space that um, he was just referring to there. And they wanted to they, they were really discussing how they didn't want to use any kind of like fame or popularity to kind of pump up a project and let the projects kind of results and, and, and what they deliver speak for itself. Um, they did that, you know, obviously leading up to that uh, to there because there were so many like loyal bubblegum kid, you know, holders. But even afterwards, I mean, it's been one deliverable after another. Like there were there are holders who who have, I guess, whatever the whale status is there uh, within Bubblegum Kids, and they get like a whole collection of like each of the action figures, and then different levels get to claim different amounts of action figures. Um, and you, they now have a partnership with a plush doll uh, company. Um, and so there's so many different things. Uh, and the comic book claim just came out. And there's been so much more I, I didn't even get to mention on here. But You'll, everywhere you go, you see um, a picture of kind of like a cartoon kid blowing a bubble um, in the PFP. That's Bubblegum Kids. So big shout out, everybody. I think almost everyone that I come across has at least one of those Bubblegum Kids. So big shout out. I love what you're doing at Bubblegum Kids. Oh, before I forget to mention it, the Bubblegum Kids and the High Council actually took a community vote on whether they were going to purchase um Mutant Ape in MAYC for the community treasury or the community wallet. And um, I just think that was a really cool way to keep the community involved, to give everybody a voice. And um, good job, everybody there at the High Council and everybody in the Bubblegum Kids. So this has been Down the Rabbit Hole, the community spotlight, as we learned a little bit more about the Bubblegum Kids. Now sit back and relax and get in your time machine because it's time to chat with Danielle Petty, the co-founder of the 90s Babes NFT. Hope you enjoy. One of the great things about interviewing people who are building in the space are that you can sort of start to tell you know, who's coming from a good place, who has a good heart, and who's going to be here for the long haul. And somebody who's with us today um, is Danielle Petty. She is the founder of 90s Babes. And also, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Self-Love Club and uh, what her journey's kind of been like, um, kind of coming into the world of Web3. It was kind of a crazy time when it all started. Um, and it's gotten a, a little, little crazy. I feel like the whole market's gotten a little crazier. But first, Danielle, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. How are you? 
Hi, I'm doing good. I'm happy to be here. So thank you for having me as a guest today and excited to get into the convo. Let's do it. Yeah, we are so fired up to have you. Um, So many people I know uh, are holders of uh, 90s Babes NFT. There's so much nostalgia in there. And um, it's just, you know, thinking about, you know, each of my 90s Babes that I had, I minted on, on Mint Day. Um, you got just, just so much fun within that community. And I just want to start off because so many people who work in the world of Web3, um, whether they're doing community managing or promotions for an NFT company like yours, you know, not everybody gets the proper recognition, but you have a team that's been in place. Uh, and, you know, I know you added some team members over time as well. But one person who comes to mind immediately um, is Steve Spirals. Because, you know, I remember when I think even before Mint Date, um, I had popped into the Discord and he's leading, uh, he's leading games and tr- probably, honestly, some of the most fun games within a Discord that you can possibly imagine. And the prizes were incredible, too. I mean, some really cool nostalgic uh, prizes. So, you know, how, how kind of was the process of, you know, kind of leading up to Mint Day for 90s babes? You had a, so much buzz. Uh, and then, of course, some crazy things happened, not just in the market, but um, also, you know, on the other side of the globe. Oh, man. Yeah. Mint Day. Leading up to Mint Day really was crazy. Um, you know, and I, I got to just echo and give an extra shout out to Steve-O. He has definitely been, I mean, I, I don't think I would have been able to make it through this process without him. I'm incredibly lucky to have him as a business partner. And um, yeah, I mean, he's really held down the fort. He, My specialty is not Discord. Um, <laughs> I try. <clears throat> but, you know, I do a lot more of the Twitter spaces. So Steve-O's really held it down with coordinating community events, running all of our marketing initiatives, holding down the Discord. So very, very grateful for him and everything he's done there because, yeah, leading up to the Mint was absolutely crazy. I mean, it was a different time. You know, it was there was so much going on. Women collections were on fire. It felt like just by being a women-led collection, you got a ton of opportunities and access and ways to, you know, get your brand out there, which was great. You know, I've said this before, but we were a little crazy back then. You know, I think we were running about five to seven Twitter spaces a day, Um, something insane. Uh, And, you know, we were just really working to get the name out there and working to get the brand out there. And we were kind of searching for that ideal community, right? We know that that community member exists out there that has the love and passion for the 90s. So we were doing everything we could to get into different rooms and in front of everybody. So I remember when you were grinding those Twitter spaces, um, I, and, and that was the way that NFT companies um, and NFT brands minted out. I mean, I remember so many going on, they, you know, did some Twitter spaces and the market was, okay, so, you know, we'll mint and uh, we'll sell out pretty quickly. And, you know, a lot of times those projects kind of didn't last. And mm. what's interesting um, and even some that did did not mint out didn't last and, and didn't try to keep pushing. But one thing that you did, not only did you and your team push through leading up to mint date, you know, some crazy things happened, um, obviously, in the market, in the world um, that, you know, that affected 
NFTs in general, um, and obviously your team as well, and, and we can talk about that. But you continued to push, and you continued to kind of brainstorm and think. Um, you know, and I do know that you have some other you know, members of your team. I, I know Megan's still very busy. Will's still you know popping in there and stuff. And um, absolutely love your team. And it doesn't seem like you've ever really stopped. And I, I also. You know, the prizes that you give out for traits. I mean, so you know, let's talk a little bit about sort of what it was like once the mint happened, um, you know, what kind of was going on in NFT land in the world, you know, once you once the mint day finally came. Um, and then, you know, we'll talk a little bit about hopefully some some fun, uh, good things as well. Yeah. Oh my God. So, you know, as I was mentioning, it was a crazy time. I mean, I just feel like there was so much going on. Our team was, we were having meetings at seven o'clock in the morning at nine o'clock at night. I mean, we were really working around the clock as much as we could to, you know, really get out there and set ourselves up for a successful mint. Um, you know, and, and I would think we were trending exceptionally well. You know, we were felt like we were in a really good position to go to our mint. We had, um, you know, maxed out on our presale list and had a bunch of people still eager to be involved. So we felt pretty confident, um, you know, and then one day before our mint opened um, is when the war officially broke out in the Ukraine. So um, that was devastating for so many reasons. Um you know, and especially because our artists, so our artist, Erica, she lives in Ukraine. Um, and you know, she knew what was happening and she said that this was happening a few weeks before it actually happened. So as you can imagine, you know, those last two weeks before the mint was when we're finalizing all the artwork, we're going through all the test generatives, we're, you know, doing all of these kind of final touch points. Um, meanwhile, you know, poor Erica is completely out of commission. Um, and, you know, occupied elsewhere. So our team definitely, you know, we rallied and we um, made sure that, you know, she didn't have to worry about anything and that we would get everything handled. Um, and that's what we did. It was a little crazy. I know me and Lara were becoming Photoshop experts and <laughs> learning how to make, you know, any small modifications, a line that was out of place, anything that needed to be um, revised, uh, from the art side of things, her, her and I were in there making those updates. Um, but yeah, and, and then the war broke out. So, you know, we had advisors and friends in the space that we leaned on for their expertise. And everybody was like, do not go, don't pass go, you know, like, now is the time to wait, revisit, you know, the market's not looking so good. Um, and, you know, we really had a tough decision to make. Um, our team had been working for, you know, like six months building the project, um, waiting for the mint to happen. Um and we were in this position where, you know, Erica shared with us that she really needed us to go through with the mint so that her and her family could leave Ukraine and, and get somewhere safe. And so um, even going into this, we never really saw this as being a quick flip project or something that you're going to, you know, where we wanted a whole bunch of flippers in on it to begin with. So, you know, not saying that we wanted a slow mint, but we were prepared for the idea that, you know, the right community members are going to find us as we're going a long time. Um, and so we decided to push forward with the mint regardless. Um, and it was, I mean, it was great, you know, right, right when we opened the gates, I want to say we hit like that 2,500 mark within two minutes. I mean, it was pretty crazy to see that happen. Um, and then to your point, you know, 
despite everything that's happened, you know, we've continued to push forward because we, we never came into this with the idea of let's have a quick mint and we'll all go from there. You know, it was definitely around the concept of we want to build a brand that can employ people and can be something long lasting that um, can be something we're all proud of that exists in the space. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because when you're thinking about, especially in the fall and, and the winter when projects were minting out very quickly, that didn't necessarily do a whole lot for the holders, really. I mean, unless they were going in to flip it. Um, many of them did not have utility uh, at the time. Some did. Uh, some began to put it in a little bit later. But, you know, you kind of think about this idea of like a mint out or a sellout. Like how many times do you go to a store like at the mall and be like, oh, I, I'm not going to buy these shoes because you haven't sold them out yet. Or like you're, you're not nearly having a sellout of these. Like we don't do that in real life. And the fact that we think that that would sort of, you know, make – our asset any more or less valuable for the reason we bought it, obviously, unless it was to do a quick flip, just seems kind of silly. So, you know, I, obviously it's a discussion point. Um, but I know you're, you're near a hundred percent, um, mint out, which is super exciting. So fun. Uh, and hopefully we won't have to have these conversations about slow, slow burns and, and, you know, slow mints because, um, to be honest, I feel like, you know, Obviously, we can't go back in time, but had it not been for a couple extenuating circumstances, I, I was convinced you were going to mint out in, on day one, just based on you know, based on who you were, who your team was, um, the dedication that you all showed, um, the enthusiasm that you have for the '90s, which we do have to talk about as well, because that's that's the that's the whole fun behind it. Like, it's really fun, you know, to get involved in Web three and have NFTs, and we can talk about some of the fun like utility that comes along. Um, and I know you have some some more merch coming out and stuff, but you know, what what led to sort of not just the idea of you know coming out with an nft brand but you know what was your background like you know why did you love the 90s so much um i think the 90s had was so diverse i i um spoke with board becky and we talked about some bands that we liked uh and didn't like uh from that time period um but there, there were some really fun things that existed that sort of don't exist anymore and the nostalgia behind the 90s babes makes you kind of really miss that so what what was your life like kind of before dropping this uh, nft project yeah no those are all great questions um <clears throat> so let's see i have always been really really passionate about tech you know i was definitely one of those kids that you know when we first got our family computer i was like setting it up and showing my parents how to use it and you know, um, I ended up pursuing a career and, um, you know, majoring in computer science. Um, I really thought I wanted to be a web developer, started learning Java and CSS and a couple other code languages and decided I did not want to be a website developer. Um, so I kind of pivoted into the marketing side of things. <clears throat> I really love data analysis and everything that you could find through that. So I ended up getting hired at Google, um, and I worked in their Google ads department for several years. Um, Steve and I actually worked there together, um, you know, and after a few years working there, I really thought I had found my dream job. Like, I'd never leave, and I'm just going to stay there forever. And, you know, it was kind of disappointing to realize just, you know, even at my dream job, I'm still kind of stuck behind, like, corporate rules and, like, things that hold me back, you know, and... At that time, I was servicing Google Ads clients, and I was noticing how <clears throat> these marketing agencies all across the globe that I'm interfacing with, 
a lot of them just didn't care about the end client. Um, you know, and, and so that was really frustrating. And so after a while of complaining to Steve about that, <laughs> we finally decided that we were going to leave Google and start our own marketing agency with the mission of not delivering marketing as usual. Um, so we started Digital Radar about six plus years ago. Um, so st- uh, we've been running, we've been doing Google ads and running, you know, full service marketing agency together for the last six years. And then, um, you know, Steve himself, he's always been really into blockchain and crypto. And I remember he started like a Facebook group like 10 years ago and was trying to pull me into it. And so, you know, I- I've dabbled, um, I would buy, I would buy things here and there and kind of, you know, what, what should I do, Steve? <laughs> so, uh, finally last year around August, He was like, you have to come check out NFTs. Honestly, like, you're going to love the community. You're going to love, like, the possibilities that are here. Like, um, and so, you know, I was definitely one of those people that was like, wait, what? A JPEG? I don't understand it. What's this all about? Um, And it took me a minute. Um, I I do feel like I had a really unique exposure to NFTs right off the bat, though. You know, Steve works at Charge Particles, and so understanding their technology and all of the potentials that it made available for NFTs, it really kind of sparked a light for me. And it was like, okay, this could be something, you know, really powerful for businesses. Um, And of course, you know, I'm on Twitter and I'm kind of like lurking in the background of Twitter. And I saw like that one quote, that one stat that was like, you know, only 5% of projects are run by women. And I have always been rebellious by nature. I remember, um, when I was trying to decide my major, they were like, there was something about how there was hardly any women in tech. And I was like, fabulous. I'm going to do that. Um, so, you know, I, I really felt like that same kind of passion. It was like, okay, there's not a lot of women already doing this. And it's like, great, I'm going to set out and do that and kind of carve out that space then. Um, and so we got together and we're like, okay, well, we can't do this just the two of us. So let's kind of go back to our marketing agency and some of the people and confidants that we trust there. And so that's how we pulled in Lara, um, which she is absolutely incredible. Um, it's been so like needed her so much throughout this whole process. Um, but we sat around and we started talking about, okay, what do we want this to look like? And because of that stat, because there was not a lot of women in the space at the time, we really became very passionate about the idea of changing that and, and finding a way to break through that, right? So we really wanted to come up with the concept and with a project type that people could find identity behind, even if they know nothing about NFTs, right? I'm t- targeting my sisters or my mom or, you know, my ne- my nieces who they maybe aren't interested in NFTs yet, but it's something that's going to be a part of their future. And the sooner that they get involved, the more opportunity they're going to have. So um, we started kind of talking around some different ideas, some different, you know, what, what could that look like? And we got around this concept of doing the decades, right? Um, I was born in 92. I've always been a huge fan of the nineties, everything that came out of the nineties. You know, I was like my dad's best friend. So anything that he was listening to was like my favorite. Um, but it's, uh, it also had a lot of other reasons too, you know, with the nineties, we experienced a major tech boom. Um, and you know, people, the kids of the nineties, we know what it's like to live without the technology, right? I remember playing outside in the green belt. Um, it'd be like, all right, come back home when it's dark outside. And we'd run around the neighborhood with all the friends. And, um, 
you know, that was just the norm. And then I, we also remember what it was like getting that first family computer and cranking on that dial up. And, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, it was always like, I've always been so, I don't know. It's just always came like second nature to me. Like that computer showed up at our house and for whatever reason, I was easily able to set it up, plug it all in, do the software. I mean, I must've been like seven. My parents are like sitting back, just kind of watching me set it up. Um, So it felt very kind of like kismet that here we are, 2022, we've got this new exciting technology and we've got to find a way to implement it and use it into our day-to-day lives, just like we did in Web1. And so, you know, when thinking about the 90s, it was really a play on that, bringing you back to those simpler times and that nostalgia, because while there was so many simpler times there, there was also so much excitement with the internet first coming out and you know, so many of the 90s kids and people who, you know, grew up loving the 90s, they found a way to take that tech and implement it into their day to day lives to build careers with it. So um, that's kind of, you know, how we came up with the concept of the 90s. So you mentioned kind of remembering what it was like to get that first family computer. I also remember what that was like. Do you remember your first like screen name for for AIM or AOL? Do you remember what you used? You know, what's funny. I actually, (laughs) um, I actually cracked into my photo bucket the other day. Um, and I want to say it was like Cinestics 92 or something. Uh, My cat's name and my birth year, (laughs) something like that. But yeah, it was, I think having a birth year at the end was always kind of a, a, it it was either that or somebody would put like a 420 on the end of something (laughs) or like, yes, a sign of the times for sure. Um, you know, but you know, so thinking about kind of that nostalgia and some of the fun things that you see as far as some of the holding traits of the 90s babes. I mean, I remember when they came out and they started becoming revealed and I was just like, is that a fruit by the foot in her hand? Like, I haven't even thought of one of those. Um, there's, you know, there's like a, a Walkman, a CD, Tamagotchis. For, I, I actually, I think I just recently saw a tweet that came from either you or the 90s babes account that said, don't forget to feed your Tamagotchi today. <laughs> Yes. And I was just like, I wish somebody would have told me that, you know, back then or else my poor little Tom. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, and speaking of back then, you know, St- Steve-O, uh, if there's anything that you know 10 years in advance, can you please give me a heads up as well uh, this time? Because I'd love to get a little bit in front, especially while, you know, all these altcoins are down. But yeah. anyhow, yeah. So a lot of fun stuff that led to your eventual sort of you know, creation of, of this, I, I guess, you know, brand, um, I don't want to say project. I hate saying project, but, um, it's, it's, it's a work in progress, I suppose still. So we can call it a project for now, but you know, it, during the nineties, you said you were your dad's best friend and kind of what he used to listen to, you would listen to, do you remember maybe like a handful, maybe three or five, like bands or TV shows that you really loved from, you know, when you were, when you were a kid uh, growing up in the nineties? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, Let's see. I distinctly remember dancing around on the coffee table to Mbop by the Hanson or by Hanson. That was definitely, (laughs) definitely stuck out for me. Yeah, I think my wife still jams out. She she literally will still buy Hanson's new stuff. Yes. Oh, my God. I love that so much. No Doubt. No Doubt was an icon. I loved No Doubt. Um, everything that she put out was incredible. Obviously, you've got the Spice Girls, Third Eye Blind, um, TLC, Waterfalls, great one. Uh, 
gosh, what else? I mean, my dad was into a lot of the rock as well. You know, I know he loved Smashing Pumpkins and Guns N' Roses. And so I I feel like the music of the 90s was really kind of unparalleled. It's so much good stuff and movies. I mean, you mentioned television shows. The Rugrats, definitely. Um, That was probably one of my favorite shows, but also like all the horror movies that came out in the 90s. I mean, Silence of the Lambs. You've got... um, Six Sense. I remember that one being terrifying as a child. Um. <laughs> so it's it's funny because there's I, I I'm I grew up um, you know liking what I liked. My my family listened to more of like I I guess my parents listened to more like classic rock stuff or whatever. Um, and then I, I eventually liked certain things. For me, you know, growing up in the New Jersey kind of New York City area, hip hop was a big thing. But I was also very I was picky when it came to rock. So mm-hmm. what's cool now is there's a lot of bands I never would have got to see that are either still touring or touring again. So I got to see Red Hot Chili Peppers last week. Great. Um, they were they were they were a bucket list band for sure. Um, Guns and Roses reformed. I saw them last year, and I yeah. like that was a band I was like for years. I was sure I was never going to have a chance to see. That's pretty. Never cool. play live. That is really yeah, cool. That was yeah, and I think they started I think in like the eighties too. But I, and also too, I remember I think that was my very first. Do you, you remember when MTV played music videos? Oh my god! Like yeah. actual music videos. Actual music videos. Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah, the M in MTV. If you're listening out there and and you're in Gen Z, actually stood once for music. <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember like my very first music video I ever saw was uh, Paradise City by Guns N' Roses. So anyway, the reason why I bring some of this stuff up too is because, you know, I think a lot about, you know, we're, we're in this world now of Web3, NFTs. I know crypto is not like exactly brand new, but it's newer. A lot of, a lot of people are still sort of adopting. And, you know, how did we get here? You know, I think there's a lot of things that, you know, came from our past that we don't always necessarily think, you know, or realize brought us to this point today. So, you know, that that's why for you, I, it, it, it could also be that you had such good memories with, you know, with your dad as a kid. Definitely. Um, and- no, you're so right. I mean, I had so many good memories. You know, it, it's like from dancing around, listening to the music, to the television shows. And, and I really feel like the nostalgia is so heavy in the 90s. And I do believe a big part of it is just that simpler times factor. You know, it was really something where like you were present in the moment. You didn't have your phone on you. You weren't, you know, you weren't holding the beeper walking around, at least not at seven years old, you know, but it's, (laughs) it was just something where I feel like you were just forced to be really present. And so what you do have from those times are those memories that you can now unlock and kind of, it's like little trigger moments, the traits we, that was what we aimed out to do the traits in the nineties babes collection, everything you see there, they were very, very carefully selected by um, myself and the team and really just trying to see like what different memories can we unlock for people through these traits and the outfits and even some of the outrageous makeup styles that they used to do in the nineties. I mean, let me tell you through all of the nineties research we've done, some of it was pretty atrocious, but, um, you know, it was a vibe. It was, it was what was popular back then. So, 
you know, there, there's so many different traits. And I know that you have like a trait of the month uh, that you focus in on. Can you talk a little bit um, about some more of those traits and what some of the prizes have been for for people who held, you know, specific traits? I know during minting, uh, there was one specific that you had an early partnership with. Uh, and I think that you've done some more fun stuff in, in terms of even giving away as prizes for, for winning games and those kind of things. Absolutely. Yeah. So the trait rewards is something new that we've kicked off, but you're right. So, you know, when we first our when we first came out the gates, we, we really, this whole time just been trying to think of what would we want as holders, you know? And, and for me, especially again, bridging the gap to the users who are not familiar with web three, who are coming in just because they like the nineties and they found a nineties babe that looks like them. And that makes them want to be a part of, right. Um, we wanted things that were tangible, something that everybody could value and appreciate. And so, you know, we had a deal come up with Moonlight Rollers. They are absolutely incredible, um, beautiful roller skates. And so any of our babes who came out holding a pair of roller skates is eligible to claim a pair, which that's pretty incredible. I mean, this, like I said, the skates are amazing. And just the idea that, you know, by supporting a project you love, by holding this piece of art that you love, you can also get a pair of skates IRL. Um, so that was definitely something exciting. You know, we've got a couple more of those that we'll be rolling out here later this month, um, or I guess next month now. Um, but we also kicked off the trait rewards. So I remember when I first came into the space, I think it was Lazy Lions did like a, I don't even know what they called it, but it was like, if you owned a Lazy Lion, you were eligible to win ETH just by owning one. And I remember feeling like, wow, that's genius. You mean to tell me that you can reward people who just like love and support you um, and you can find a way to make it beneficial to continue to love and support you. I I don't know. It it made a lot of sense um, at the time. So we started thinking about all of the fun things that we could do with our different traits, you know, um, for our 10% milestone, we gave out a fully stacked Nintendo 64. So, I mean, we're talking the Nintendo 64, four controllers, six games. It was awesome. I mean, we were excited about that prize, you know. (laughs) You know, and it's like we saw people get so excited about that. We're like, okay, we need to keep that going. So we rolled out the treat rewards. Um, Last month was actually the first full month of us doing it. So I want to say, oh, the treat reward was a fanny pack. Um, So... Anybody whose babe was holding a fanny pack is automatically entered. That's something really important to us. We don't want it to be like, if you have this, all you have to do is jump through 30 hoops to be eligible. You know, um, so we've made it anybody who has that trait, you are automatically entered to win. Um, And we ended up doing 250 in ETH and a fanny pack and a bucket hat. So the fanny pack was like stuffed with all these 90s goodies. Um, kind of like a little 90s surprise pack with like bucket bucket uh excuse me bucket hat with butterfly clips and zebra stripe gum and you know um everything we could think of there and then you know what we're doing with that is every month we're picking a new trait um there's going to be a new prize to go along with every trait but you know common theme we're giving away ETH and then some type of nostalgia items so you know this month is the fruit roll-up so anybody holding the fruit roll-up is going to be automatically entered and we'll be selecting that winner here at the end of the month. So just for kind of transparency's sake, um, how are you selecting the winner? Are you just picking – you're putting all like the numbers of the 
of the tokens on kind of like a wheel and spinning it, that sort of thing. Exactly. Yep. So all of any any babe that has that, you know, trait in their hand, we're putting those numbers into a wheel and spinning it and selecting the winner that way. That's a, those are some really cool prizes. I mean, those are some things like kind of in the back of your mind, especially if you grew up, you know, in that time period to sort of, you know, have one of those things, just someone reach out to you and be like, hey, you know, this is a. Uh, this is something that you now, you know, won just for being a holder. It's cool. So what's the best way? So if they do get selected, do they have to have like their Twitter connected to their OpenSea? Like what's the best way? Or do you just put in the announcements? So they do not have to have a Twitter connected. However, I will say connect your Twitter to your OpenSea. It makes life a lot easier for giveaways and we want to do a ton, ton, ton more easier to find the person, easier to make sure there's no scams and nobody, you know, falsely claiming. Um, definitely not a requirement though. You know, anybody who has the trait is eligible. We're throwing it in the wheel. And if we can't find your Twitter directly, you know, we're going to post it in our announcement channel and we're going to try and find you that way. Yeah, I could honestly, I can attest to that. So I, I do work on some teams myself and please, please, like no one's going to be able to hack your OpenSea by connecting your Twitter to it. Like it's just, it just helps us give you free stuff. Yes. Guys. Um, anyway, so I, I also noticed too that you received uh, a large shipment of uh, books. Can, uh, so can you tell us about the books and do we have a chance to, to get one and, um, turn our mamas into happy mamas. Oh my God. Yes. Okay. So, um, roadmap, we, so for our roadmap, we have actually almost fully executed on our roadmap now, um, which is pretty exciting. You know, it's definitely something that we put a ton of thought and effort into creating. Um, and so for our 10% roadmap was the Nintendo 64. And then our 20% roadmap piece was these, I love my happy mama books. So, for anybody who has not heard of I Love My Happy Mama, um, it is a beautiful book written by Blake Nolan. Um, Blake is a friend of mine. I've known her for a very, very long time. And, you know, it's something really personal to me. When I had my son four years ago, I suffered very, very much so with um, postpartum depression. And I remember at the time, you know, I didn't have any other mom friends. I didn't really have any idea what was going on. I was scared and angry and not feeling myself. And, and, and it just felt really lonely. And I know that when I was in that state of mind, it was really hard to ask for help. It was really hard to even know that I needed help. Um, and again, it was just something where, you know, maternal mental health is not discussed nearly as enough as it needs to be. And so, um, Blake, I suffered with postpartum depression. I ended up going and getting on medication and, um, you know, being able to find a way out of it. And then a year later, my friend Blake had a baby and she was a few, you know, her baby was a few months old and she called me and she was like, can I, we meet up? Um, and we met up and she knew about, you know, my journey and what I had gone through and how I had found a way out of like that darkness. And she, I remember us sitting there and her just kind of crying about like where she was at and how she felt alone and like there wasn't any solutions. And, and we had like a nice long hug. And, and then, you know, a few months later she started, you know, going to therapy and, and doing some different things to help heal the way she was feeling. And she started a kickstart account to fund a book she wanted to make, which is the, I love my happy mama book. So this book's beautiful throughout the entire book. Um, so it's, it's a kid's book, right? For anybody else who's suffered from postpartum depression or maybe doesn't know what that looks like, one of the biggest things is you have this like 
mom guilt that you just cannot shake. I mean, little things like stepping away to take a shower, stepping away to go to the bathroom, like you feel guilty or like, like unsafe to do that, you know? Um, and so this is a board book that is meant for um, parents to get to read to their kids. And throughout the entire book is just loving and encouraging messages to the mom, just kind of reminding you, you know, um, taking care of your mental health is important. Um, by showing up every day, you're exactly what your kid needs you to be. And, you know, don't forget to show yourself love and self-care. And it, I, I still can't get through the book from start to finish without crying. Um, you know, and it's just such a, I, just to watch her take something that was so painful, um, something that I identified with that was just so painful and transmute it into this beautiful book that's created to help other pregnant moms and new moms, um, was really beautiful. So when coming up with our roadmap, you know, we wanted to, like all of these other people at the time were donating money, $50,000 here, $20,000 here. And we would sit around and talk and we're like, you know, we really don't want to just like throw money at something, you know, we want to do something that we have a little more heart for that we can feel good about while being a part of. And so um, reached out to Blake, um, learned a little bit more about what it could look like. And then um, we went ahead and signed up to purchase 10,000 copies of the I Love My Happy Mama book, which is the largest amount of books sold by I Love My Happy Mama to date, which is really exciting. Um, you know, and then our mission with these is we don't want to just donate money, we want to donate our time too. So we are setting up right now, we've got like a group of people here in Arizona, and we're setting up to go out to these different women's shelters and shelters that are taking care of new moms. And um, we're going to actually go bring these books in person and donate them to these different facilities um, where these moms can really benefit from them. So um, took a while in production for those to show up, um, but they actually just arrived like a week or so ago. So I've got 10,000 books in a garage, which is a crazy amount of books to look at. Um, but yeah, I, we're really excited to get to kind of share those with the world. You know, as I mentioned, I, I feel like they are so powerful. So to get to continue to spread, spread awareness is something we're really excited to do. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for, you know, being open and, and telling your story and kind of sharing that sort of vulnerability piece. I know there's a lot of listeners out there who I'm sure can relate. Um, sometimes people don't always know that they're feeling a certain way because of that, uh, you know, I, I have two little ones. I have a three-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. Um, you know, I'm sure that's something that my, my wife can relate to. I'm sure it's my mom had four kids. Um, she raised us by herself. I'm sure that's something that she would have loved to have, you know, had a chance to read as well. And it's it's just nice to know, you know, I talk about it a lot on this podcast that there are you know, such good people like yourself. And that's why I wanted to ask you to come on and kind of share some of your stories and some of the things that you're doing. Um, you know, but you're, you're kind of doing a lot of things IRL as well. And I think that's one thing I really appreciate about you and not, you know, and, and sort of your brand and you're, you're delivering on prizes, you're delivering on, you know, obviously what you're going to do with my happy mama, the, the books and everything. You also deliver it on it at NFT NYC at a party that I I actually believe it or not so I know that party was Friday of that week and um there were many parties that week as as you know and by the time Friday came I actually had to scoot home because 
Um, I didn't know this was a thing, but one-year-olds graduate uh, from daycare. So I, <laughs> so I, I had to be back home um, at like whatever time that was, like 7.30, 8 o'clock. Um, and then that very night, it was Carter and some of the guys from the NFT 365 were messaging me like, yo, you got to get here. This party is crazy. So first of all, what did I miss? And second of all, when is the next one? Because I cannot miss it. Oh my God. Yes. The party was incredible. Um, so, you know, through this whole process of a slow mint, we've been very agile and kind of pivoting and making changes to really do what's best for the community throughout. And one of those changes was a roadmap revision. So we made that revision and we moved the IRL parties up in our roadmap because it was something that we noticed everyone had a lot of heart for. You know, like everyone was so excited about the idea of having like a 90s themed event. Um, and, and us too, you know, we really wanted the opportunity to get to meet our babe holders in person. And so um, our team is all spread out across the globe. And so we were like, you know what, New York's a good meeting spot. We could all meet in New York and maybe that could be our first big event. And so, um, you know, it, it all just kind of fell together. I had a friend of mine who knew the guy that owned the club and, you know, we, um, worked something out with, um, Sandy Carter and unstoppable domains to be there, to be their partner for the party. And we got Polygon pulled in and we got, um, you know, some other incredible sponsors lined up to host the event. Um, and it was awesome. It was at club Nebula. So it was like walking distance from the main conference center. Um, and it was nuts. I mean, the venue held 1600 people. And I remember we like opened our event bright and we started getting a bunch of signups. And then like five days later, <laughs> um, wow came out and announced that they were having an extra party on the same night, same time. And they booked Madonna. Um, and I remember all of us were like, Oh my God, <laughs> you know, how are we going to compete with Madonna? Um, and then, you know, heard that Steve Aoki was playing the same night and like Dead Mouse was playing the same night. And so, you know, to be honest, leading up to that, we were like a little hesitant, you know, it was a free ticket to get in. So it was open to anyone at NFT NYC. It was free to claim a ticket, which sometimes means people claim a ticket and don't show up. Um, and then we made it to where all of our babe holders got VIP access. So if you were a babe holder, you guaranteed got to come into the party you got free drinks all night, free food all night. You got a swag bag. You got like the VIP treatment, you know? Um, but we were a little hesitant just not knowing, right? Like how many people claimed a ticket and decided they're going to go see Madonna instead. Um, and so leading up to the event, man, there was so much work that went into that. Like I, I aged like at least five years planning that a party. It was nuts. Um, but we get out there the week of, and honestly, like even the week of, like we're running around and we're like getting things that we need. And so it felt like so chaotic. And then the night of the party, we get there and we run around and we're setting up and we're like running back to my hotel to get ready before everybody showed up. And, uh, we could not believe it. I mean, there was a line out the door and around the corner until two thirty in the morning. Like uh, people like trying to bribe us to let them inside. It was, it was absolutely insane. Um, so needless to say, we were through the roof and over the moon with just like how successful that was. All of our babe holders got in every babe holder that set out to come, they got in, they were having the time of their life, um, you know, with free drinks and 
getting to just celebrate. Um, Club Nebula itself is an epic location. Um, they've got like a state of the art sound system and the entire ceiling is covered with TVs from inch to inch. So we had some really cool like 90s immersive art experiences happening on the ceiling and a light show. And I mean, our DJ was incredible. So we jammed out to 90s music all night. Um, yeah, it was awesome. I, I, I literally like there were so many times where Steve and I we would like walk up onto the DJ booth or we would just go somewhere high up in low, like, and just look at everything. And we're like, wow, like we did this. That's so cool. Like everyone was just having so much fun. So, um, in terms of what the next one is, I have been getting asked that question a lot. I'm sure um, you have. <laughs> and, you know, honestly, um, it was so much fun that we're pretty eager to plan another one. So, uh, this is not confirmation, but there has been lots of discussion around throwing a second event at Art Basel. So anyone who may be going to Art Basel, I would love to um, kind of get a better pulse on who's all going to be there because that's something we're looking at as of right now. That's really exciting. If it's anything like the first one, I can't even imagine. So did you have a chance yeah. to do anything fun during the week or was it just kind of grinding this setup that – your own party? Did you get to go to any others? You know, a lot of it was like the setup process. <clears throat> I did try to squeeze in as much as I could um, throughout that while trying to not burn out. Um, I know I went to a wizard's party. That was pretty fun. Um, I had a chance to go to um, like a brunch with a bunch of friends that were out there. And um, man, I guess that's really it. I think I went to like one other like speaking event, but that was really, oh I, I, yeah, I spoke at an event. That's right. I spoke at an event, um, hosted by, um, Flea Boys, which was really awesome. And, uh, yeah, I also, I, my 96 year old grandmother lives in New York. So, um, you know, while I was out there, I definitely made it a point to go say hi to her. <laughs> so, uh, we got a chance to see her while I was there as well. That's awesome. So if you're like me and you missed the first party, Hopefully, you'll be down at Art Basel and have a chance to maybe go to the sequel. Is it? Are you going to break the rules? Is the sequel going to be better than the original, or is it going to be like most other 90s movies where the sequel is not as good? <laughs> oh, my God. It'll definitely be as good, if not better. You know, I think um, for the first event, I, I mean, I've always had a passion for, like, planning and throwing parties and events. But really, that was our first event that we've hosted as a brand, you know, Um and seeing how successful that was, there was definitely a lot of like learning instances that we're going to take and grow and use to make next the next party even better. So I'd like to think it's going to be even better. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I just wanted to sneak in a 90s <laughs> joke there somewhere. I loved it. So, um, so if you're like me and most of the people I know who went to NFT NYC, you brought home the Poe app with you. Did, did that happen? Uh, I mean, I was, I was definitely down and out uh, for um, about a um, – a week to two and then kind of got better. And then if, if you're, if you're just kind of checking in and you have no idea what we're talking about, the poll app uh, is the proof of attendance protocol that uh, if you went to NFT NYC um, you got, and um, I think it's commonly referred to as COVID. So <laughs> yes. It's myself and uh, pretty much everybody else I know who went there um, with the exception of maybe one or two people, but if they didn't get COVID, were they even really there? I yeah. I mean, no, it's, and you know, it's funny. It actually kind of dovetails into what I know we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Um, New York was insane. I mean, it was so much fun. I loved getting to see everybody, but to be honest, like 
there was so much going on around the clock, 24-7, that it was a little overwhelming and stressful. And I remember making a joke to my husband and being like, I'm totally going to be sick when I leave here. Um, And sure enough, I came home and I was sick for almost a month. I mean, me and my whole family, it was like, we got it. Someone got better. Someone else got sick. And then it was like a month before we were fully feeling better. And so, um, you know, that really just made it so known that, you know, there's no prioritization for wellness right now at these conferences, um, which is kind of how the self-love club came to be. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about the self-love club and tell us a little bit more too about how we could sort of, you know, love ourselves a little bit more, take better care of ourselves and, and one another. Leaving New York. So, okay, back, back up even before New York, right? I have had the pleasure of getting to travel around to these different conferences around the U S um, and at these conferences, it's been a lot of the same group of people. And so, you know, I've been seeing um, Fari and Diamond, I've been running into them at all of these different conferences and, after New York, you know, all of us came back and were sick and we got around and we started to talk and we're like, man, New York was great. Right. But was it worth being sick for a month? You know, I, I really weigh in our options here. Um, and we just started talking about how wellness is just not something that's prioritized in the web three space right now. I remember coming in and it was like a joke of like, I'll sleep when I'm dead, you know, like the market never sleeps and I can't either. Um, just all of these things. And I even remember having a debate about like how unhealthy and like how that, like that environment and that type of mentality is going to lead to a burnout. And you can't expect longevity to come out of something like that. Right. And so, um, I, um, have had this idea about the name, the self love club for a while. And so we started talking about like, what is wellness? What does it even mean to us to prioritize wellness? You know, and a big part of that is something that the 90s babes has already been really big about, which is mental health. You know, um, we obviously bought the book supporting maternal mental health. But, you know, in addition to that, we host regular mental health Twitter spaces. Um, we just really feel that it's important to carve out space to normalize the discussion around taking care of your mental health. Right. Um, so in talking about what does wellness look like, we realize that, you know, it's a couple factors for us. It's definitely the mental health. It's also the physical well-being, but it's also the personal growth. You know, um, in my own personal experience, you know, there is a lot of traumas or things that I experienced at a young age that my brain perceived a certain way that then affects me as I go throughout my life as an adult. Um, so, you know, the things that we do to continue to work on ourselves inwardly, as well as, you know, take care of ourselves physically and mentally, um, it's kind of what wellness looked like for us. And so we decided to roll out the self-love club, which, you know, um, it really kind of started off as a passion brand of just like a passion project we wanted to put out there of just reminding them people to love themselves, you know, prioritize drinking that water every day, prioritize, you know, stretching and getting outside and feeling sunlight at the every day, um, prioritize like bettering yourself and bettering your business. And, um, you know, we wanted to find a way to kind of weave that into web three. And so we had an incredible opportunity with Midwest con. Um, you know, we got to, go to Midwest con and we got to set up a whole wellness integration at the conference, which was incredible. We had a wellness panel. We were integrated into the main programming of the whole event. Um, so, you know, we had like an NFT bar and we had, um, Reiki massages and, you know, a guided meditation and 
it was so cool to see how well received that was. You know, I think that the builders and the people who are really working hard here in web three, like we know we need it. Um, and, and, you know, we also believe that when you are taking care of yourself, right, like showering and drinking water and, you know, prioritizing those things that make you feel good, you are able to network and show up in like a higher version of yourself, right? Um, versus like being hungover and like running out of the house, like that's not effective for networking and building a business and, and, and again, to, for longevity, um, so we set up the wellness lounge at Midwest Con, super, ex- super exciting and successful. And now we are getting ready to do it again at Art Basel. Awesome. So yeah, that'll be fun. We're planning on having a kind of wellness, a wellness lounge that's open. Um, it's looking like Sunday right now for, you know, five hours. There'll be um, curated panels with different wellness experts and there will be just a ton of well, you know, whether it's a kombucha mimosas and massages and um, opportunities for people to network while also, you know, prioritizing relaxation and the other beneficial things for their health. Um, so that's a little bit about what we're working on with the self-love club. Uh, you had me at kombucha mimosa. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting, too, because so I was a teacher um, for 15 straight years and I worked with kids for years before that. And. Um, you know, mental health, physical health, all that stuff kind of goes out the window when, you know, your job is to take care of other people. Um, and then kind of toward the end of that, before I transitioned full time into working in Web3, um, I was I was pretty sick, like regularly, <laughs> like I felt like every month there was something new because you're catching the stuff from from the kids at school. But I had I had, um, you know, my my babies by by that point and. It started to kind of like get a little bit, you know, um, war, I guess it wore on me a little bit where, where I go to the doctor and I just be like, doctor, like this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> like, like how could I be sick again? I was just sick like three weeks ago. And they're like, are you sleeping enough? No. Are you, you know, are you eating lunch? Like, are you eating healthy lunch? Well, no. Um, <laughs> you know, like, wh- like what's your diet consist of? And I'm just like shoot, like I can't even really pinpoint anything because you're running around and, you know, you're just kind of doing what you got to do to get through sort of your day. And my doctor looks at me and and says, listen, you know, you have babies at home now. And if you don't take care of yourself, how are you ever going to take care of them? Mm. Like if you're, if you're sick and you're not a hundred percent, you know, you're already going to be tired from having, having your kids. You're already going to be stressed out from your, your, you know, babies at home screaming and, and, and that kind of stuff. Mm. You need to be the best you, you can be for them. And that's sort of where that light really turned on. So I think a lot of people at home, you know, whether they listen to you, uh, you know, explaining this now, or they kind of, uh, are on the, the Gary V train with the kind of, you only live once, just kind of do, do what makes you happy. Um, I think what you're saying kind of speaks, you know, speaks volumes. And also, you know, I know that we were talking earlier about like the minting out process and all that, all that stuff kind of revolving around the purchasing of the NFTs of nineties babes, but People love you. Like people love Danielle Petty. They they love the nineties babes. They love the nostalgia. And obviously that showed itself in real life at NFT NYC. I think that's why your line was so long for, for the entire night. Because people, you know, believe in in you. And I think that's, you know, kind of one of the one of the reasons I really wanted to sit and chat with you. So, you know, 
speaking about you and, and kind of moving forward, um, it's going to be exciting to finally put, you know, 90s babes minted out on, uh, as the, as the Twitter name for sure. Um, I think it's going to be really exciting to see what you do with the self love club. Um, besides art Basil, is there anywhere else that, um, we can catch you? Are you speaking anywhere else? <clears throat> yes. Um, let's see. So definitely working on, um, DecentralCon, which is happening right before Art Basel. I'm talking with them right now about potentially integrating either on a speaker panel or just having some part to play there. Um, but we've also got some really big things up of our sleeves. So this is something that, you know, we haven't really come out publicly about yet because, you know, we know that everybody is eager and it, everybody wants answers and they want them right now. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, the Web 2 world just still has not caught up, caught up with Web 3 speed yet. So it's been something we've just been working on for the, in the background right now. But what I can say is that as soon as the 90s Babes is sold out, we have something really exciting coming for the 90s Babes holders and just the 90s loving community out there. Um as you may recall, we had a partnership we formed with Michael and David Uslan a few months ago. They are some big Hollywood producers that worked on every Batman. They're the executive producers of all the Batman movies. They do Comic-Con, um, worked on, you know, Carmen Sandiego, a bunch of incredible 90s related projects. Um, yeah, Batman, Batman right here, by the way. Too. Oh, love. Oh, my God. Yes. See, there we go. So, you know, we've got something really exciting planned with them. Um it's been something that, you know, we've been working on. It's going to, what I can tell you is it's going to involve some web 2.5, um, some more opportunities for us to continue to pull people into the funnel and into web three. Um, but that's cooking up our sleeves. So I feel like it's exciting watching us hit this 95%. We've known that this is coming all along. Um, but you know, as soon as we do kind of, um, close out and wrap up this minting cycle, we get to move on to, just continuing to add utility and more reasons why people should love and want to continue to hold the 90s babes. So how could how could these people out there, whether they have a 90s babe or they're thinking about a 90s babe and they're realizing like, wow, I should have really been on this train a long time ago. What are some of the best ways to follow you and the 90s babes? Yeah, so definitely follow us on Twitter. Um, you know, follow the 90s babes account. Follow me personally um, at pettycash777. Um and stay tuned. You know, we are working hard behind the scenes. We are um, building out something that I think that people are going to be really, really excited about. So, you know, um, we will hopefully be able to release some more news. We had a plan to drop something um, special for you guys before the October Comic-Con. So, you know, hopefully we can have everything kind of packaged up and wrapped out um, before then. That's really exciting. Um, so obviously, I believe in you. I think our listeners out there who got to hear your story, who maybe hadn't heard it before, hopefully everyone believes in you as well now. So give Danielle Petty a follow, follow 90s Babes, and please make sure that you get one before it's completely sold out so you can be a part of some of these awesome rewards and get some of this awesome utility. Thank you, Danielle, so much for joining me on Fired Up on the Blockchain. I, pr I appreciate being here. Thank you so much for your time. I will tell you, I mean, how can you do anything other than smile after a conversation like that? Love, love, loved having that conversation with Danielle Petty from 90s Babes. You can go right onto the website at 90sbabes.com. 
nft.com. Don't fall for cheap imitations. There's a link to Mint. There's a roadmap. It tells you about the team. A lot of frequently asked questions. It's really, really going to, I think, set some new trends. Um, you know, not just go back in time and relive some of the old ones like the Game Boys and the Nokia phones where we played Snake and <laughs> remembering to feed your Tamagotchi. They are minting. There's a very small percentage left if you still want to mint for 0.03 Ethereum plus gas. Gas has been relatively cheap lately. Um, And right up the website, it says, fact is we've always been there at the forefront of the digital revolution. We are the OG in email, browsing, texting, blogging, coding, socializing, influencing. As the digital world turned, We pushed it. We opened doors. We broke barriers. We set precedents. Now we're doing it again with NFTs because women of the 90s share the same defining characteristic that's thriving, the success of every NFT, and that's authenticity. So thank you again, Danielle Petty and the 90s babes. Please check them out. You're going to be very satisfied. And Danielle mentioned, you know, she's going around still speaking at conferences. And I could honestly say this. Some founders are not busy. Some founders are not out there grinding. Some founders are not, you know, speaking at conferences or engaging with their teams because the market is is kind of low right now. So it's really inspiring to see what Danielle is doing and building. And the self-love club is just one more reason to attend these events as well, too. So one thing I can say about the 90s babes, they like to have a good time. So Pop into their Discord, follow them on Twitter, and follow Danielle as well. That's at PettyCash777. Thank you again, Danielle, and big shout out to the 90s babes. Stay tuned for an extra minute where we're going to have a quick NFT uterine session. Okay, hey, it's time for school. That's right, it's time for school. It's the NFT uterine session for anybody who's learning some new terms and brand new into the world of Web3 and NFTs. Today, we're going to talk about the word minting. If you're newer into the NFT space, you may have heard myself or other people talk about the term minting in NFT. It actually has two terms that people uh, use. Well, one term is actually like creating the NFT itself. So, That's the very first term. And the second term has to do with you being the first person to actually purchase it directly from the company that makes it. So I'll explain a little bit about each of those. So minting an NFT, according to Zipmex, it says that refers to converting digital files into crypto collections or digital assets stored on the blockchain. So the digital items or files are stored in a decentralized database or distributed ledger and cannot be edited, modified, or deleted. The person creating the NFT, uploading it into the system, selling it, that is one version of minting. So you can be an artist and uh, creator and you can mint the NFT, meaning you're actually making it kind of like how the the, the US mint uh, prints money, right? 
which they did a lot of in 2020. <laughs> and uh, another version of the term minting uh, also means if you're going to mint an NFT, that means that you're going straight to the website of the company that's putting out the NFT and you're the first one ever to open it. So a lot of people have sort of related it to like opening up a new pack of baseball cards and you don't exactly know the one you're going to get. So most of the time, most of the time, it's not revealed. And uh, you're going in, you're spending the same amount as everybody else. And some people are going to get ones that are maybe more rare. Uh, some are going to get ones that they love. And some they're going to get that they're going to maybe want to trade and sell on a secondary platform. So we'll talk more about marketplaces and secondary sales and how companies continue to make their money uh, from you selling your NFT to somebody else and you buying an NFT from somebody else. So, And it has been requested that in addition to having great interviews that we continue having education and news in some of our episodes. So stay on the lookout for that. They will be uh, featured at the end of the episodes. And before we close out, I want to give one more gigantic thank you to Danielle Petty and the 90s Babes. Man, I think now I want to throw on some Reebok pumps, my starter jacket, maybe some slap bracelets. I hit the Tommy Hilfiger store. Actually, that's probably, I think that's back out again. I think the kids right now, but they're not putting it on layaway like a lot of people did back in the 90s. So really fun chat there. Um, you know, maybe just uh, watch a little Save by the Bell, a little 90210. And, uh, you know, that was before people Netflix and Shield. So I uh, loved having that conversation. Um, Danielle, thank you again so much. And also another big shout out to the community at Bubblegum Kids. Keep up the good work. And everybody, if you or you know anybody who is a builder or a thought leader and wants to get some of their messages out, this is a space for them to feel like they could say what they have to say. As long as they're not a shillfluencer, as as Riddle <laughs> has coined that term. Uh, so I guess I'm not going to call them cash grab influencers anymore. So if you know anybody like that, of course, you can hit me up at Mr. Travis, though, M-R-T-R-A-V-I-S-T-H-O. On the old Twitter, my name is Travi, Travi.e. And let's keep on bringing it, that's right, in this crazy, mixed up, kind of nerdy, kind of cool, brand new world of NFTs and Web3. And the countdown is on until I'm in NFT London, bringing one love to Web3. I'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace.